Hey, thanks for checking out the Blake Bins podcast. On this episode, we have David Breyer on the show. He's the winner of over 325 international awards and is ranked number three worldwide for branding by clout. He's also the author of an Amazon bestseller, Brand Intervention. You need to stop right now and pick up this book, Brand Intervention, which has led to over a billion dollars in increased sales. Take a listen, take some notes, and I will catch you next week. See ya. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Blake Benz Podcast. Man, we got a total rock star on the episode today. We got David Breyer. David's been called a mad genius by the incredible Claude Silver of Vayner Media. Uh, that's Gary V, by the way. Brilliant with branding by Shark Tank's Damon John and a branding genius by Mr. Ten Times Grant Cardone himself. And if that weren't enough, David's the recipient of over 320 international awards on design and branding, and he has the rare distinction of being presented the Presidential Ambassador for Global Entrepreneurship Medallion. Good Lord, David. I'm just, I'm looking through some of your accolades and I'm blown away. The number one rebranding expert on Google, who's been featured in Adweek, Fast Company, Forbes, uh, Inc., uh, Huffington Post, Entrepreneur, uh, and the New York Times. You're also the author of the number one Amazon best-selling book, Brand Intervention, 33 Steps to Transform the Brand You Have into the Brand You Need. David Breyer, what is up, man? Hey, man. How you doing? I'm so thrilled to be here, dude. Dude, I am ready, man. And I feel like we're already growing out a little bit. Like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Uh, man, what an honor to have you today. How you doing? Uh, absolutely fantastic. Good. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, we're... There's so, there's so much so much exciting shit going on. I mean, with so so many different. I mean, you know, it's just you know, some days you kind of pinch yourself because you're just like going like a freaking you know, you're going fifty, sixty, a hundred miles an hour, whatever. And I mean, I remember at the end of like most people, I don't know what people do on their, their weekends. I I love what I do. So I mean, this Sunday I just had a shitload of stuff to catch up on, and so I was like jamming like a bat out of hell, and you know, and I I. I'd be pounding out and uh, I'd take a little 10 minute break and maybe, you know, catch some, catch something on the tube for like 10 minutes. And I just jump right back into it. And you know, I had like a meeting after meeting after meeting crushing like this, this company and this part of the U S this company. And it's like just nailing the shit and knowing that each of them is going to absolutely just see a, such a brighter future that. So I, I just, I love the shit that I do. This is and fun. I, well, and you can really tell it because I, you know, I was telling you before we started. So I got really active on LinkedIn about six months ago and I don't know why LinkedIn seems to just click so much better than the other platforms, mm -hmm. but you were one of the original people that I started following. And I was like, okay, this guy really both knows his stuff and also obviously really enjoys what you do. Yeah, totally. Which totally. is great. Now, how long yeah. you've been, you've been in business for what? 20 plus years? <laughs> okay. I'll answer that. I'm going to answer that question. And so, and, and for, for those, for those that are listening, because they, because because I see we're not recording this, so no, you are recording it. We oh, are. so you will have a video. So who knows? Who knows what you're going to show with this thing? So the thing <laughs> is, I've been doing this this year, 2020, will be 40 years that I've been doing this. Shit. I was way off. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Dumb and Dumber Samsonite was way off. <laughs> hey, dude, I'm flattered. That's a, that's you know rather than like wow, David. You must have been doing this for at least seven decades. I'd rather you go the way you went. Yeah, I'm cool yeah. with that. So, I, and it feels like, and, and you know, maybe this is a good place to start. It's, you know, what's funny about you, man, is I've never seen you, because you would have every reason to be egotistical, arrogant, whatever, been in the business 40 years. You've probably seen plenty of mistakes made. And a lot of this probably comes pretty intuitively to you. But it's interesting, especially nowadays, where you have like the conversation of people who say they're the expert but they're very clearly the amateur. And right. I, I, I like how you, man, you, it just seems like some of your content just comes so natural to you. I, it, it's just easy to see the expertise that you have. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, first of all. And, and I would say the thing that I've always leaned toward, I've, if I were to sway one way or the other, I always sway toward how do I explain something well to another how do i take someone on the journey with me um and 
I've always loved a great story. I've always loved great clarity, even more than a great story. And I always say that because sometimes the word story can be a little bit, I think, cliched and overused. Or you got to be good at telling a story, you know, that kind of crap. And, and I do believe in the power of storytelling. But to me, more it's a matter of how do I, how do I take someone on a journey in a way that they are glad to be on that journey? I never consider, oh, because I'm David Breyer saying it, it now matters. That is the biggest crock of n- narcissistic crap mm-hmm. that just is useless. I don't, I don't, you know, if I've done my job well, it's meaningful. And my stable thing, like when people have me speak or have me as a guest, the only way that my content is great is if the people got something out of it that are listening to it. Mm-hmm. If it's not great because I say it's great. Look, I, I am very confident and I know that what I'm saying has value. But what makes it great, what moves it from value to great is that you, your listeners, people who hear this go, shit, I just gained an insight from something. Because I'm a very, very, very enormous advocate of insight is the thing that's going to make the difference. You know, people are always looking for hacks. People are always looking for shortcuts. They're always looking for this, always looking for that. My whole thing is, look, if you gain insight, if I take you from the point of knowing not just what are the steps to do? Checklist one, check two, three, four, five, and this little checklist. Checklists are bullshit if you do not have the understanding. If you have the understanding, now the checklist can be utilized with that level of why is it working? So what do you, what do you mean by insight? Like what is that, like practically, what does that look like? Well, well, it's like this. It's like, like all, all oftentimes we'll talk about differentiation. You need to differentiate. To, to actually be heard in the marketplace. That is like I find in my book, because you know, right now, today, if you were to go to Amazon, there's over 10,000 books on, on, on branding today. Not marketing, sales, no, no, branding, just that's it. That vertical has over 10,000 titles. And if you and I were to sit down and start reading one book per day right now, it would take us 24.6 years to read each and every one of those books. But yet there's no single agreed upon definition so I took it upon myself in my book. I said, you know, I wanted to find, I know what branding is. I know what branding does. I've personally raised for humanitarian efforts that I believe in. I've raised millions and millions of dollars for those things. I've helped clients generate millions and millions of dollars with the rebrands that I've done. But why did it, why did it work? And so the thing is, so I came up with branding. The, the definition of branding was four words, not 10,000 books, the art of differentiation. Now, the key thing then becomes, okay, so why do we need to differentiate? Well, let's see. If you and I were unable to tell, if we had two similar items and we put them side by side, we weren't able to tell which was one from the other, we would look for some difference. And when you know what happens when we start looking for a difference? If those companies, whether it's a company, product, service, a city for tourism, I don't care. Any, any application, if they fail, what are you and I going to fall back on? Seems like they're the same. Which one's cheaper? Mm. Not because we're cheap, but because we're looking for a point of difference. So the thing is, is that we're always demanding a point of difference. You look at it, it applies to who you choose for your spouse, what shoes you try, you, you just, what sneaker brand you decide to, to wear, what car brand you decide to drive, what foods and restaurants you decide to eat at. There's a point of difference that you said, you know what, boom, you know, what are the points, the factors of difference? Is it going to be a combination of the environment, the setting, the ambiance, the customer service, the this, the that, the da, 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 da. I mean, so when you get, when you start to understand that, you then have a rhyme and a reason for why you want to brand something. And you're not just doing it because, well, let's be different. Oh, okay. We're all going to wear clown noses to work. We're going to be different. Ha, 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 ha. That's the stupidest freaking idea I've ever heard in my life. And that would be ridiculous because it didn't make sense. What are you differentiating against? Why are you differentiating? And how's your differentiation relating to the values of your customer and your audience? Well, I love that intentionality behind it. Other than, you know, it's kind of like when businesses sometimes it's like innovating for the sake of being able to say they're innovative. And so they begin to change processes that didn't need to change and try things that are totally waste of time. And the thing that's, that I'm, I'm really curious your perspective. It feels like 
especially when you talk about this topic of dif differentiation, I just know there are plenty of business owners who'd be like, yeah, 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 totally got it. And they think they're differentiating. And yet the product is exactly the same as a dozen other options. So, so what's the diff disconnect between like the practicality of, I think I'm differentiating and I actually am differentiating. Oh, per excellent, excellent, excellent question. I'll tell you the exact missing part. The missing step is they're, they're still looking inward. They're going, how are we different? Let's look at our difference. Let's look at how our mission statement is different. You know, mm. it's like, uh, excuse me. Now, let's, let's look different in regards and in relation to what? That's the important question. So let's look at it. Right now, at any point in time, you take any product, any service, anything that you want, you put in a Google search, you now have 100, 1,000, 10,000 or more alternative options to that one product. Why are you and I going to choose that one product over the others? And what we're seeing when we look at all those options that you and I are hit with, that's the real world. That is called, that's what I call noise level. Some spaces are absurdly noisy, okay? Breakfast cereal. Walk down the breakfast cereal aisle in the supermarket, noise, man. That is like freaking deafening, right? Or the energy bar space. Let's look for an energy bar, a meal replacement. You know, that, what, look at that. I mean, you can go back 10 years or 15 years. It was nothing. And then all of a sudden, now it's like, it's like exploded and you've got paleo and you've got non-GMO and you've got organic and you've got made of egg whites and you've got made of egg blacks, you've got egg grays, you've got every freaking thing under the sun. So it doesn't make, so the thing is, how the hell am I, the innocent consumer who just had, I had the innocent impulse to actually just want something. Now I have 75 choices and I've got 30 minute, a 30 minute meal break away from work. How the hell am I going to do that? Shit, I'm going to grab something that just happens to grab the eyeballs. That's what I mean by that. So when you're looking, when anybody is looking at differentiation, they have to look at differentiation in the context of what's the noise level that your audience, that you're trying to penetrate, what are they facing? What are they dealing with? And then how are you going to differentiate in terms of your brand story, your language, your visual language, your visual vocabulary? I mean, I took one brand. I mean, I took one chocolate. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. And this is when it really hit home for me because the, the result was so shockingly jarring. I took a chocolatier, and they happened to be one of the top chocolatiers. They were a boutique chocolatier. They made these most amazingly ridiculous, fantastic handmade truffles. And they were off the charts amazing. And, I, and I'm, the kind of, I'm the kind of geek that if I would read a food magazine and I'd be, well, there's this amazing new chocolatier in San Francisco. I'd call him up and I'd say, hi, I would like a box. And I'd ship over, I'd ship over, I'd get a box. Of, I'd pay 45 bucks and I'd pay $25 for the shipping and I'd get the box shipped to my office. And so, you know, I do that from New York and I do it here and there and da, 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 da. So I know, I'm, I'm that audience. I know chocolate. So I look at what is everyone else doing in this space? Because the owner of this chocolatier, his whole viewpoint was, well, if anybody knows anything about chocolate, they'll find us. I'm like, dude, you know, if, if we build it, they will come as a nice Hollywood script. It just happens to not be reality. So he, he you know, we finally decided to, to do this. We did the rebrand. I looked at what everyone else was doing. Now, when I started my career in New York City, I worked on booty. I worked on cosmetic brands. I worked Estee Lauder, Revlon, Charlie Perfume, all of that stuff. So I know that cosmetic space and the whole thing with cosmetics is a very interesting space with regard to branding. Their whole thing is let's create an aura of everything, but yet communicate nothing. Hmm. You know, let's make sure that women can run their fingers across it and it feels cool and ooh, but it doesn't say anything or it smells a particular way. What does it mean? We don't know, but it's kind of like different, <laughs> right? And so it's totally this experiential sort of like, let's just, Let's just like blow your senses, like take them off the Richter scale and just go bam, right? And you go, whoa, I don't know what happened, but I'm intoxicated. Yes, here's $200 for this bottle of whatever. And so what happens is, is I looked at that and I saw that's what all the chocolatiers were doing when I was doing this rebrand. They all had 
cool papers embossing it was all textural nice typography interesting colors this and that the other but they didn't say anything so that was one observation this i'm literally walking through the process this is the process right here I'm, i so i observed that what's happening in the space okay that's what's going on in space okay what else am i observing in the industry well there are magazines like Savior and Gourmet and Bon Appetit that are like foodie magazines that people really love. They love to read, find, discover things, unusual little tricks, little tips, little this, little that. That was one other thing. And then I started to observe what was happening in terms of the food community. People were starting to love uh, celebrity chefs. People were love. All of a sudden, there was a food net. There was a network devoted just to food. And then there's you know, cooking channel and food network and this, that, the other. So I'm going, wait a second. On one end of the spectrum, the competition's communicating nothing. On the other end of the spectrum, foodies love little tips. They love to say, oh, you know why this particular wine tastes the way it tastes? Ha-ha, <laughs> it is because this grape was manufactured, but came out of the ass of a giraffe, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, I mean, so you get, this, you get this whole kind of wildness. And so I was like, wait a second. What we're going to do is I'm going to create a box that has tons of wonderful little bits of chocolate trivia, things that foodies would love and make it stunningly gorgeous and also make it a little bit European in its look, just a little bit, because the one thing that happens in America, anything that looks or sounds European is instantly considered more valuable from fashion to cars to food, right? Mm -hmm. Period. You can charge more. There's a perceived inherent value. So those were the things that went into this whole thing with regard to this rebrand. So the box comes out. And literally, you, know, you have to understand the, the context. There's no change, in, no change in hours, no new signage, no new flavors, no change in pricing, no promotional specials. This is a boutique thing. And there's no new sexy people with low plunging necklines where you see some nice little cleavage or anything like that. They're like none of that, right? So we don't have any of the normal things that people go, well, that's the reason why, you know, it was her, it was him, it was it. No, nothing changed in this boutique shop. They still have the same traffic they have every day coming in, people coming in for their coffee and their tea and their stones and their lattes and their muffins and their cupcakes and their chocolates and their truffles. Well, at the end of the, and this is in the summer, which by the way is the down, down period for all sales chocolate. So we end up with one month, June, drops from the first. The boxes are just on the back display panel, just the back counter. That's it. I come at the end of the month. I say, so Mike, how'd it go? What happened? He leans over and he goes, sales of truffles, 300%. It increased 3X. Wow. In 30 freaking days. Because differentiation was used intelligently, consciously, deliberately, not on some autopilot. Like, let's not just be different for the sake of being different. Let's look, observe. Pay attention to what's happening, the dynamics, the noise level. How do we differentiate ourselves? I came back the next month at the end of July. Sales of July were over June. And then came back the next month, August. August, he goes, not only were sales over, over July, but sales were over February. February, Valentine's Day, the month that, oh, that chocolate, there's two months that chocolatiers love. It's Valentine's Day. Of course, they also love when Mother's Day is Valentine's Day and, and of course, the holidays so in December. So that's the power of differentiation. That's how and why you differentiate. Well, I just, man, there's so many great insights from that story, but it's just, it's fascinating hearing about how you were able to, it's like, it, you know, and it's not a magic bullet, but it's kind of, the, it's like discovering like, ooh, this is the thing that is different. And it's different, and I think this is the magic. It's, it's different in a way that's compelling to the buyer, not to the person who's selling the product, right? And, it's, right. and, and you mentioned yeah. this already. I mean, it's, it's the people who, they're really proud of what makes them special. The only issue is their customers don't care about that at all. <laughs> right. Or yeah, it's I, like, I mean, I mean that's, why, that's, why I, that's why I love, I mean, sometimes, I mean, I, I'll, have to, I'll have to tell clients, I'll say, you know, oh, you mean like our mission statement? I said, I don't give a shit about your mission statement and not, neither does anybody else. Hmm. We will service people to the best of our ability to 
change and transform their blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, that's stupid. The kind of, it's really inward looking and it's trying to, I don't even know who came up with it, but it tends to be very useless. Hmm. Well, and I've seen people who use the mission statement well, they're using it around like the hedgehog principle. They're using it in the sense of we're creating clarity as to why we exist. But it's, it's, I think where they get confused is, you know, they blast it out or worse, they blast out like, you know, the half page, you know, it's like the essay on their story. And it's like, dude, everyone stopped reading after about four words. So something else that I I see happen a lot too, and I'd be curious how how often you see this happen. And it's kind of like the ego in business or the pushback from customers who they say, you know, our customers love this, they love this. And then as you get into it, you realize no, they really don't. They, they really aren't that excited about it. Or I've, I've even seen business owners say things like, well, if they don't like it, they can shop somewhere else. And I'm like, they will. They will shop somewhere else. And, yeah. and it, I guess I don't understand why people, and I guess it's ego, but are resistant to really tune into what you're talking about. Not you specifically, but, but the perspectives you're giving. Right. Um, occasionally, occasionally that exists. Um, the thing that I would say is that I'm the first one to to basically, I'll, I'll, I'll give you actually how I tackle that. I have a, I have conversations very early on. I mean, some oftentimes even before I've decided that, yes, we're going to take on a client and we're going to help them. I'll say, tell me why anybody, why any particular potential prospect of yours should give a shit. Why you and nobody else? Tell me. Yeah. And it's always fascinating because the first thing that they offer that, I mean, I would say, and I'm not exaggerating, I would say 98 to 99 out of 100 will say something that every one of their competitors is already saying. I mean, the rare, I mean, like, and I mean, I mean, rare. It's like, but usually they're just going to spit out and they're going to say, well, uh, we care about people. We really care. about people. Or we really do provide the best service. Or are we, or, I mean, they, they, they yeah. drop these little or, things. Or they say no one else is doing blank. No but, one else but is it's, doing it. But everyone blank. is doing. Yeah. Right. Or, or we were the first. Or we're made in the USA. Or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, and, and so my reply is when they utter that, rather than just, just, you know, body slam them on, onto the, onto the <laughs> office floor. I basically just say, so let me ask you, um, why do I know that every one of your, and I, and I tell them now, I'm not saying this is accurate. I'm not saying this is that what you're saying is untrue. I'm not saying that what you're saying lacks authenticity, but why do I know the words that you have just uttered are also being stated by your competition? What at that point, at that point, their jaw slowly gets disconnected from the rest of their face and drops to the ground in slow mo, um, because they're like, "Oh shit, you're right." I said it's not a matter of is this good, is this right, is it the way it should be, is it not the way it should be? It's the way it is. This is the world, and the words you're using lost their meaning five years ago because everyone abused them. And people who said them, you know, like, like one thing that not many people know, or not everybody knows, because they just haven't been in business so long. Like 35 years ago, I think it was about 35 years ago, 40 years ago, when All Natural first came out on products, that was a breakthrough. That actually meant something. That was like a new category spin. It was like, holy shit, All Natural. And now basically, I think if anybody just thinks, all, you know, and like, Oh, my grass is all natural. If they think that while they're making the product, good, we're going to put all natural on the product. I mean, it doesn't matter. It just has no relation to what's inside. So um, words end up getting diluted over time. And you have to have, and, and here's the, if, if, if your listeners are listening to this, here is a badass. You want a hack? Here's a hack. Build your brand around the values of your customer. Values are timeless. Features are not. Hmm. Values are timeless. Features are not. If you build it around values, Nike built the entire empire that they have on values. Just do it. 
Does it say better synthetic rubber, better synthetic material? No, it's built on values. And when Steve Jobs came back you know, to Apple after being ousted, what was the first thing he did besides simplifying, getting rid of all the crap that everyone was like, oh, we got to have more product lowering. He simplified, 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 and brought it back. Found out what is the thing that we stand for. And it was a value. It was think different. It was not adhering to the status quo. That's building it on values. Values are timeless. Features are not. And it's similarly, a parallel kind of thing is this, is that do not be married to your solution. Be married to what your customers want. Hmm. And that's the exact reason why Netflix came out, I don't know, around the same time that Blockbuster was crushing it, but Blockbuster was married to its solution. Its solution was a brick and mortar presence where you come and you get, first it was VHS, and then it was you know, DVDs, and da 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 They never realized what Netflix realized. Netflix was like, we're in the business of providing entertainment. We're not, because Netflix started out as a freaking delivery by mail. Not everybody knows that, delivery by mail. If they were like, there's like, they would have kept on going, no, but we're going to continue to deliver by mail because that's the way it is. And well, now, well, there's only, there's only two of them. One was Blockbuster has one remaining store in Bend, Oregon. And then we have Netflix, which is crushing it. And Netflix not only owns the entertainment solution that their customers want entertainment, but they are, they are now today the number one producer of television content in the world over Disney. Mm. Wow. So well, the thing is, is don't be married to your solution. Well, I think I even saw something that was something. Yeah, I can't remember where it came from, but it was basically, it was like a, a deep dive on Blockbuster and it was saying how there was some, there was a boardroom somewhere where a bunch of Blockbuster executives were saying, you know, our customers really value the opportunity to come in and see people. And, you know, it's kind of a community space and, you know, you see your neighbor there and it's, it's real fluffy language and it's like, no, I, I like sitting in my pajamas on the couch on a Saturday morning. But it, and it feels like, it feels like this, this happens a lot where someone says our customers like blank and it couldn't be farther from the truth. You know, and it's like, it's like um, our customers will love New Coke or our customers will love, you know, I think Sears is another. You talked about the brick and mortar solution. It feels like Sears was another great example of that. And oh. I, well, per, uh, no, uh, great, great. No, that, can I jump in on that? Yeah, totally. So, so here's, the, here's the interesting thing with Sears. Sears observed an opportunity when it first came into existence. They looked at how do people buy, okay? We had a smaller world. We had no internet at the time, okay? This is pre-internet, so we have a, a much smaller world. It's like we have these little towns, and they have these smaller little downtowns with maybe one or two stores, okay? So you didn't have much option. What happens? Sears looks and says, wait a second, everyone has a mailbox. We can produce a catalog that would bring the world of shopping to their home. They don't have to travel to go to some place where there's all of these <clears throat> stores and this, that, the other. We can now bring the world of, the world of shopping even to the point of people buy people actually bought homes through the freaking catalog. Actually, they literally did. And so that's what happened. Well, what did Amazon do? Amazon, okay, fast forward however many years, probably 40 years, 50, 50 years. Fast forward and you go, well, Amazon's now the world has changed a bit. And hmm. Not only does everybody have a mailbox, but everyone has a desktop. What if we could bring the world of shopping to what everyone has? A desktop. And so we will bring the world of shopping. You can get anything practically under the sun. One click away. Bam. Amazon simply did the digitized version of what Sears did. But Sears was married to their freaking solution. And they weren't married to the problem they were solving. Hmm. And they didn't go with the times. So that's the thing. I mean, I, I cannot overemphasize. If companies want to crush it, they need to not be married to their solution. They need well, to be married to the problem they're solving. And it feels like it's, you know, it's just because it's worked in the past doesn't mean that it has to be 
the bread and butter in the future, right? And I, and speaking of Sears, I remember for Christmas when the Sears catalog came in, my siblings, we would gather around and be like, oh, I want this, you know, and you would circle the things that, and it was like, it was almost like, you know, Christmas in advance because it was like, this is the fun part is, and so what's really odd to me is, is companies that have like this spark of ingenuity, you know, they solve this problem, but somehow it, they don't sustain it into the future. And I, I, part of me wonders if, if, you know, think about like Circuit City, but even now Best Buy, I mean, you walk into a Best Buy and you're, you know, it's 30 employees and like, you know, eight customers, but you have these companies that they find a solution and then yet they, they like lose their magic or they, they get out of rhythm of, of staying on point with those customer answers. Yeah. They stop, they stop looking outward and they're just now, they're dealing with operations. If you want to destroy a brand, put an operations person in charge of it. Because <laughs> all, all they're going to do, and people don't understand why that is. Operations people, they count the stuff after it's done. In other words, they're looking at, okay, how much can, where can we increase efficiencies? That's an internal problem. That's not an external problem. That's an internal problem. Oh, and let, how are we going to allocate our funds? That's an internal logistics issue, not an external one. It's like, and so they're looking at where, they, where can they save money? Where can they economize? Where can they do this? Where can they do that? And how do we now distribute and, and maximize allocating funds to wherever we want to allocate them within the company? That's internal shit. Brands that are smart are externally oriented. They're customer oriented. The path to our customers' doors does not start at our front door. It starts at our customer's front door. At our customer's front door, what is right outside our customer's front door? The problems, the challenges, the barriers, the aspirations, the dreams. That's what's right outside of their front door. And from their front door will lead to our front door in that sequence. It's not going to go from our front door to them. It's not going to go us to them outward bound. It's going to go from them to us inward bound if we're smart and we brand and we differentiate intelligently. That's mm -hmm. the way it works. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, what you're talking about also, I just, I know for like the, the new entrepreneur, especially like the brand new startup founder who has, they have the dreams, they have the aspirations. And in some ways the naivety of like, oh, we're the next, you know, we're the next Facebook, we're the next Amazon, whatever. The oh, no, no, no. You got to, you got to use know. the good one, man. You got to go. We're the next Uber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, actually, it's funny you say that because I was meeting with somebody who they run an accelerator earlier today, and she was talking about a startup. And she goes, "Oh, they're great. They're the Uber of blank." And I go, "Hang on, you just committed. <laughs> you committed the startup sin by saying that. Don't say that, you know." That's right. But it's interesting how um, you take the person who's small, but but they're they're super hungry, and yet it feels like some people are unwilling to really get to know their customers or they're, they're trying to figure out the problems their customers having in, and they're doing it in a way that says it, it minimizes rejection on their part. It's like, I want to know what my customers are dealing with without actually talking to my customers. So I'll talk to my mom. I'll talk to my best friend. I'll talk to, you know, this random, you know, I had somebody who was asking me about their business and he sells to, middle-aged women who are empty nesters. And he said, what do you think about my business? And I said, am I your target market? Like, am I, does it really matter what I think? But he was extremely hesitant to go out and, and find those people. So, so what you're saying, it, it makes sense, especially when you have larger companies that can really outsource that, that discovery process. What does that look like for the solo entrepreneur or the new startup founder or the, just the small, the micro business? It's not different. I'm, I mean, again, they just pick up the phone and speak to somebody real. You know, I mean, mar marketing by telepathy is a fantastic concept. It's uh, I, but I've conducted a nationwide survey and I found it to be 100% unreliable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, maybe people don't have, it just feels like to make it, you have to have thick skin for. Well, you do. You, know. you do. You're not, but, but the interesting thing, most people will look at, you got to have thick skin from the slings and arrows you're going to get from out there. You know what you have to have thicker skin from? Your own stupidity and blind spots. That's where you got to have thick skin. It's like, you know what? I think blank. Good. I'm glad you think blank. Now, go 
go out there and find out what others think. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that, so it's not, yeah, thick skin, sure. Thicker skin from yourself. Mm -hmm. And I see that a lot, especially owners who they seem to hinge their strategy on one intuition or gut feeling that has really no basis in what your customers think. Right. Which is, you know, it's interesting. But I, but I, I really think it's because it's just super uncomfortable to actually take something that's your baby and put it out there to see what, what people will say about it and what they think about your solution. And, you know, you know but, but I see one of my favorite things is, is I, I, lo I love telling clients say, you know what? It's very possible. Your baby could be freaking ugly. <laughs> I mean like, like, butt ugly, like, yeah. so like repulsively ugly. I mean, I just, I just like pound on them until they like, they, they kind of get over the, the shock uh -huh. that potentially they have an ugly baby, uh -huh. you know, I mean, just get over it. It's like, what, you know, we've, everyone, everyone has an ugly baby. Everyone has been dealt a shit pair of, of, of cards. What are we doing with it to outsmart fate? Hmm. That's what it comes down to. What do we, what are we doing to say, you know what, what makes me worthy of attention? What makes me worthy of trust? What makes me truly provide an experience that will leave the person that I am seeking to engage with better off, smarter, more confident, more capable than before I started speaking with them? Mm. If you can't answer that, that's where you got to start. Well, and what a call to be self-aware too, because I, I can think of plenty of people who, oh yeah, of course, it's going to do all of those things, of course. And then they're confused as to why nobody's buying. Right. They don't understand why it doesn't seem like it's not the fire that they thought it was, right? That's, now, that's right. That's let, right. Let me, let me back up just a little bit because you know, you obviously you mentioned you've been in the game 40 years. I, I want to go, I want to go way back. I want to go way back <laughs> okay. and I want to, I want to go back to something I really like to do for my listeners is, you know, you'll have someone on the podcast and it's like, wow, this is really a incredible person, but it's, I think it's hard for people to connect them with the start of their journey. And so I want to ask you about that. You know, maybe the first five years of your journey, Sure. Was it, how did you get into this business? What was it like? Talk to me a little bit about that. Okay, this is going to be hysterical. But now you have to tell me. There's one question I didn't ask you before we started. Do you have never? Do you know? Do you have a younger audience, generally? Uh, no, not really. I mean, maybe okay. some. Some might be. Yeah, some might. Okay, be. might 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 skew a little bit younger. Okay, yeah. so so this. All right. So if you're younger and you're listening to this, strap yourself in. Make sure you're sitting down. I do not <laughs> want you. I don't want you driving a heavy vehicle. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop some truth here. So here's what it is. When I got in the industry, there was no computer. Silence. There was no internet. <laughs> there was no email. There was no social channels. There was no Facebook. None of that. I had drawing tables. I, we, we drew. I mean, you, you see right back here, you see this oak, oak uh, these flat files. I mean, that's from, that's from the beginning of my career. I mean, I still hold, have those posters are in them, print examples, all kinds of things like that. But it was an, it was an analog world, analog meaning physical, man. That's, that's the deal. And so what happened was I ended up, you know, I, I was, you know, okay, I'm native New Yorker, born in Brooklyn, raised in Queens, you know, Long Island and Manhattan. So I'm kind of on my own doing my thing, being a freelancer. I would meet with people and I didn't go to school for sales. I kind of learned by the seat of my pants. I didn't go to school for entrepreneurial wisdom. I kind of did that by, you know, the, the school of hard knocks and kind of figured out as you go. Um, you know, I, like many, I learned my craft of art and design and all of that. And then I, over the years, I, started to learn more about brand and story and the, the bigger, bigger overall context. And so what ends up happening is 
first first five years were interesting. I had some good good achievements and some some you know not some you know things where I was like, oh damn, that didn't go as planned and stuff like that. And you know, and and eventually I got it up to you know where where I had like um, I had a six person firm, but I found that I didn't actually like managing others. I actually liked I liked working directly with clients. That was my greatest value. My greatest value is actually providing value and dealing directly because I was able to really pinpoint what was the area needed to be tackled, what was the stuff that needed to be trimmed off and ignored. Um, and so that's what it was like. And, but, but you had to do things. See, I, I find this funny, but you can, do, you can look this up. There's something called a rotary phone, in case you have never seen one. It's, called a, it's a rotary dial. It's called rotary because it literally rotates. It's not like a little... We don't press the little thing on our smartphones. It's all finger sensitive, heat, you know, pressure sensitive. So this was a rotary phone. So if I actually ever wanted to meet with somebody, if I wanted to meet with an art director or somebody over at Revlon or Estee Lauder or this design agency or that advertising agency and stuff like that and actually meet with them to show them my wares, to show them my portfolio, you know, I would actually have to do something very courageous. I'd have to actually call them up. And say, I'd like to actually come in and show you my work and convince them and then make the appointment. And so they couldn't, they couldn't go online and say, let's look at it. Let's check out his work first. That didn't exist. So the dynamics are very different. And then I remember when, I remember when computers first started to, to come in. Oh, was I hesitant. I was like, what is this shit? What is this? <laughs> I was because, you know, it took years to master a lot of the different things because logos prior to today, I mean, sometimes there are some people who design logos who will, they'll pick a font and they'll do a little something, it'll do a, a shape or something like that and blah, blah, blah. It's either thought out well or it's not thought out well or whatever the hell it is, but you've got software today to do that. Well, prior to that, there was the original computer. I, I refer to the pencil as the original computer because I am of the firm belief that you know, technology is a tool. Technology doesn't give us the talent or the insight or the, or the judgment. And just like, just like the, the, the microphone didn't make the Beatles sound good, the Beatles made the microphone sound good, hmm. right? And so that's my whole thing with regard to technology. So I consider, I'll, I'll be a smart ass. I'll get someone a pencil. I'll say, this is the first computer. Show me what you got. Hmm. Draw something for me. Because if you can't draw something... Yeah, you might have a good eye, but when you, when you can draw and you have the good eye, and then all the stuff doesn't become a crutch. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can actually generate it on your own. So, I mean, that's, those, are, those are some of the early things. I mean, there's, there's, there's various specific, specific stories that I could give you, but that gives you an overall snapshot. Do you, do you remember a moment where you wondered, is this going to work? <laughs> Am I going to make this happen? Yeah. Yeah, I there there was a there was a rough patch. There was a rough patch in uh, probably about oh, I'd say about seven years into into it, where the the business was growing, but, but I but and then I'd hired I'd hired some employees and stuff like that, and you know this was this was uncharted territory for me. I mean you know hiring employees and you know payroll and you know payroll taxes. And all, I mean there's a lot there's a lot of moving parts to that. If you don't know that, that can kind of bite you in the ass. And, and, that, and, and I, I was getting it over my head that there was, there was, and it was like, oh shit, am I going to, am I going to be able to pull through on this? You know? And so there, there was, there was a, there was a, a, there was a window. There was probably a window of maybe, you know, probably 10 months where it was touch and go. It was like, oof, you know, it's like, it's going well, but it's, it's like, it, it was like up, down, up, down, up, down, you know, it was, it was hand to mouth, hand to mouth, hand to mouth and, and wasn't sure if I was going to be able to pull through. Hmm. Well, so, you know, obviously it's, it sounds like, I mean, it's, and you know, it's, it's like, if you don't have a computer now, it's like, what's wrong with you? Right. You know, the, the space today has changed so much, you know, what does it look like? You know, if I can flip your question or your comment on you, you know, how, how does, especially in the branding world, I feel like there's so many people who, and it's the same thing for me as a coach. I mean, it's like, uh, when I started my business, I was like, nobody's a coach. And then I got online and I was like, Oh my gosh, everyone, everyone is a coach. That dude's right. in his garage and he's a coach. You know, it's, right. it's like everyone's doing this, right? I'm seeing the same thing with like web design, with especially digital marketing. You know, it's just, it's, 
it's everything seems totally saturated, just incredible noise. What does that look like for you in terms of differentiating yourself and like really rising above that and being something that's tangible for your customers? Um, for me, I would say that, let's see, I would say, I would say maybe, let's say, let's go back maybe about 10 years. I think it was around maybe 10 years ago that I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to start a blog. Maybe it was around that time, might be a few, a couple years more. And, but I had to look at it. I had to say, hmm, you know, there's people like Seth Godin. He's smart, good insights. He has a blog. Okay. There's other people that I admire. Good stuff, good content. Why is everyone, anybody going to give a damn about my blog? I basically had to take a dose of my own medicine. What can I do that these guys can't do? What can I offer that these guys can't offer? Well, any of these thought leaders. So you take any of the thought leaders. You take, uh, you take Simon Sinek. You take, uh, you take um, Gary Vee. You take Seth Godin. Let's just take those for, for starters. Brilliant minds, smart, insightful, but none of them have my skill sets. If you were to put me in a room, say, okay, we want you to write the, develop the strategy, develop the brand story, develop the rhyme, the reason, work out, work out the brand, work out how it should actually not only walk and talk, but how does it look and what's, what's its visual vocabulary, what's all the various things. I would be the only one in the room who actually could do all of those things. They could have great insights but they couldn't execute like I could. Hmm. So I was like, okay, so that's my edge. That's what I can provide as value. So I made sure that my blog and my content would provide visual stuff. I wouldn't just talk about things and provide good insights, but I would first of all show what I would explain. Why does this work? I didn't want to just be the one who sort of said, I mean, look, if you want me to say smart stuff, I could say smart stuff. But the goal isn't for me to say smart stuff. My, my goal is I want someone to have an epiphany. I want them to, to, to have a shift where they go, oh, wow, I just learned something. I didn't actually have that insight before I started this article. I now understand it. And I'd show them, here's how this brand looked before. Here's how it spoke before. Here's how it looks and speaks now. Mm-hmm. And I'd include as many visual examples. So that was, that's the one thing. Um, right. now when you go and you look at my content, my content isn't like theirs because I'm in the, I'm in the job of basically showing mm-hmm. and providing what they cannot. And well, so it, that, that was the dis- distinction. That's actually what caused me to cling to your content from the get go was I think literally the first post I saw from you on LinkedIn was, uh, I think you were rebranding at maybe a granola bar or, or something like that. And you showed wh- who they were before and what you did and I remember I, you know, you're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And I go, oh man, yeah. Okay. I see what he did. And, and I know nothing about branding, but it was tangible enough that I was like, okay, yeah, I see what he's saying. And I see, I couldn't go duplicate it. That's why I'm not in that business, but I get it. And I feel like I've learned something from it. Right. And so I, I think just as a random follower, I could see that happen for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Now I want to talk a little bit about LinkedIn. Uh, you're obviously very active on LinkedIn. Love your one minute Wednesday videos. Uh, talk to me a little bit about your LinkedIn journey. You know, how did you get fully immersed on there? What, what does that look like for you? Sure. Well, it was about, I would say it was about maybe 11 months ago or so that a buddy of mine had said, David, you really got to get on LinkedIn. I said, well, I am on LinkedIn. I said, but LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn's a freaking roll deck. So who gives a shit, right? That was my answer. That's my straight <laughs> up answer. And he goes, no, no, David, it's changing. It's changing. I'm like, what, what do you mean? Because David, you know, and he, and he starts giving me his own statistics. This is, this is what, what's happening for our business. This is, what, this is the percentage of, of business that's being driven into us from it. And it's changing. It's like not only just, you know, for job seekers now, it's more like there's content there. It's becoming a social platform. I was like, really? He goes, oh, you know what? Here, here. There's, a, there's, a, there's a pod. There's an engagement pod I want to get you in. He said, what's an engagement pod? 
I said, I'm already married. <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, and then he explains the whole concept, blah, 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 blah. I said, okay, okay. And so he introduces me and then what, you know, what's my commitment? What's, what's involved here? And so I started to then explore a little bit and I saw people like kind of, I was like, okay, I'm seeing what other people are doing. I'm looking at what I'm doing. Okay. That works. Um, and so then people started to see my stuff and then it started to, people were like, wow, you know, they, they, they liked my voice. They liked, I was matter of fact, I was no fluff. Um, it was approachable. I wasn't talking above them. I was talking with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and my, and my whole criteria with anything I do is <clears throat> how am I going to do it? Provide more value. How am I going to do it differently? Um, how, I mean, I, I have to answer that. How am I going to do it differently? Because I'm the first one to own the fact that David Breyer, talking about something that David Breyer knows, doesn't mean shit unless I'm doing it in an engaging way. Um, I need to be, do it in a way that's engaging for you, the reader. I need to provide something that's going to take you from one place to another. That journey must occur. And so, that, so I started to look at that and look at that. And I, so I started, then I realized, wow, I have all of these years of content on my site that the majority of LinkedIn has probably never seen. I said, so I can actually repurpose some of this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd look at it with a new pair of eyes and go, is there anything new? And so I'd start to repurpose it and people would like be like, holy shit, you know, then, 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 holy shit, and then holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. So, um, you know, and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe at this point, let's say, maybe 20% of it or 25% of it is kind of stuff that's, that's repurposed. The other stuff is, I'd say is, is new content because, and here's the interesting thing. This is, I don't know what others have experienced, but I'll tell you what I've experienced. What I find is that when someone posts something and I'm engaging with it and I respond to it, I give a thoughtful reply. I mean, I, I, I like, I'm a very quick communicator. So if I see something, and I'm like, oh, that, that was a really freaking valid point. Blah, 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 blah. And I'll riff on it. I'll, I'll, I'll actually riff on it. I'll, and, and then I was like, holy shit, that was, a, that was freaking good. I just read what I just wrote. It's like, holy shit. So I started creeping, started like copying and creating, keeping this journal of these awesome replies. And some of those, probably 65% of those become new posts. So my engagement, sort of like, you know, someone says something and I go, boom, boom, boom. I'll give, I'll give you a perfect example, actually. I mean, I mean I, I'll literally read you. I'll read you just a few. Well, while that, you're grabbing it, it it's, it's like the, it's, I mean, I don't know if Gary Vee was the first person to come up with this, but his, you know, his content strategy has been like highly, has been beat to totally. death at this point. But yeah. it, it's, it, that's the concept is repurposing and, you know, maximizing the return on how much you use it. And That's right. That's right. Yeah, he'll have this. He'll have his. He'll have his big content, micro, macro, and then he'll knock it down the micro. I mean, but like, but for example, I mean, these these are just literally from responses, right? The first enemy we encounter in life, business, or relationships is our abandonment of self. Hmm. That was my reply to someone else's post. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know, um, another one was like, without asking, where do I want to go? Life's GPS will not be able to lock in on your coordinates. Hmm. <laughs> you know? That was a reply to someone's post, you know? Oh, like another one. To win, you have to be all in. Yet most people desire more, yet live partially out. <laughs> As opposed to all in, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and if you can't tell your story, you can't sell your story. You know, the master has perfected the art and craft of editing what to leave out, mm. et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I just, you know, I just, I'm like, oh, that's a good, that's a, that's a good thought. I, I, can, I can build on that as needed. But at the same time, I've learned I do some really short form shit. I mean, really short form shit that crushes it. I mean, I did, I did, I, I mean, I, I dropped one, I don't know, two weeks ago. It's like up to 56,000 views. And I'm like, I'm like stunned. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I'll do collaborative stuff, which is fun. I, you, you probably caught the, uh, yeah, the most rap. epic, the most epic <laughs> music video on LinkedIn history. Yeah. I mean, we've gotten over 191,000 views on LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was sick. But, you know, but it was, but that was, that was basically, 
did, did you did you see the the video where we interviewed the beginning? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yep. So the, that that that's a pretty accurate depiction of how it started because I was like, I, I saw something. And I said, I think we could do better, hmm. you know. And so, and so, the whole notion of well, let's include some people and let's do this and let's do that and what what's going to be what's going to be embracive and inclusive and fun. And I'm also I'm also a major music buff. Um, you know, I I played drums when I was in my teens. And I, I um, have a ridiculous amount. I, I refuse to throw away all the CDs. I have 700 CDs in our office closet back there that I refuse to throw away. It's you kept like, all your car, your car sleeves with like I, all the yeah. discs. And, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So, yeah. What, why, don't, why doesn't it feel like, well, there's two things I want to ask you and you can tackle either question first. Obviously, I, I would assume you have no shortage of clients. I would assume you have no shortage. Well, I would say obviously your, your time is very sacred and yet you, you're, you're able to stay active on LinkedIn. And it, it's always funny to me, people who they, they run, they're running a business at the micro of scale of what you're probably doing. And they're like, oh, there's no way that I could be active on LinkedIn, social media or what have you. And then there's other people who are, this is the second part of the question, who they have the time, they just don't, Oh, I couldn't post. I couldn't like video content. You're crazy. You know, what, what would you say to those two people? Well, I think I have one answer that will kind of tackle both. So when I wrote, when I published um, Brand Intervention and that came out, literally it was because that became an Amazon bestseller within two days, right? <laughs> and so when that came out, it hit me after it was published. It wasn't even like a, a planned strategy. It hit me, holy shit. I'm like, like this is, so this is November when it, when it was dropped. I was like, hmm, if I don't have following, con- if I don't have content regularly following this, people are going to perceive me as a freaking one-hit wonder who don't, for those who don't know me, they'll see me as a one-hit wonder. Like what happened to him? So all of a sudden, I mean, this, I think this was within a week after it came out and I was like seeing all this buzz and all this action and all this activity and people are loving it and people continue to love it today. I was like, holy shit. So I had to think really fast. And I said, damn it. Starting January, I'm going to, I'm going to do, because, because, uh, all right, so back a little quick backstory. Prior to that point, I used YouTube whenever I could complete a, a, a video that I felt good about and dropped. So I was approaching it from a very artistic standpoint. So, you know, I might not drop something for two months. I might not drop something for four months. It would just be whenever. And I'm like, what kind of, no business can exist like that. No TV show can exist like that. Not, nothing can exist with that kind of inconsistency. So holy shit, I need to demand of myself and provide to others something that has predictable consistency. So I looked over what the options were and this, that, the other. So I came up with the concept and the name of One Minute Wednesdays. And so what does that tell you? Well, it's on Wednesday. And <laughs> how long is it? One minute. Okay. <laughs> if we can't get past, if the barrier to entry is low. If you can't get it from the title, then we're never going to get along with each other. So I, I then demanded that of myself, One Minute Wednesdays. And I had no idea. I didn't go, okay, let me figure out a half a year's worth of episodes. No, no. I mean, Damon John, who, you know, Damon John, he's become, he's become a buddy. Backstory to that another time. But basically, you know, he wrote the, uh, the uh, forward. forward to yeah. the book. And then also, I knew, because occasionally when we would talk, he would say, you know, I'm in LA, we're recording Shark Tank. And he would, he would say, in an entire week, they would, they would record an entire season in a week. The editing is where the magic happens because you have to understand a pitch can be anywhere from an hour to two hours. And, that, and if you know, you know that there's four per ep for a one-hour episode. So it's 15 minutes. Is, so that's, that's freaking masterful editing, dude. When you can take one hour to two hours and knock it down to 15 cohesive minutes. Yeah that you can understand 
that's brilliant. So I was like, oh, that's how it's done. So I was like, so I was, I was like, we have to, we have to record, you know, three or four or something like that. I think maybe we, the first time we maybe did three episodes. Uh, now when we get together and we do it, we knock out between eight to 12 episodes um, super rapidly. And we've got our rhythm. We got our pace. We got the whole thing. So, you know, we're literally tomorrow. It, we're, I'm going to be dropping episode 92. Hmm. 92. Yeah. Wow. So, but like, what about, what about the person who says, you know, well, I, don't, I don't have the content. I don't, what would I even talk about? Right. Very and, simple. They're full of shit. <laughs> no, I, I didn't, I did not, I did not have the concept that I, that I would have the content. And you know what, the thing that I will tell you, it's, it's inexplicable, but I will describe it as best I can. You could look and say, well, how does Gary V put out so much content? How it? It's like, is, very, is it very Gary V always saying something new? No, but he's putting a different spin on it. But the factor of him giving it away almost creates a void and a vacuum into which new content can come or a new vantage point. And I will say from experience, that absolutely happens. By the factor of me giving away, I mean, because sometimes I held some of these things cherished. It's like, oh, that's a really, that's a killer post. Oh, I don't want, I want to drop that at the right time. And the more that I held onto it, it made it sort of scarce. And it, it, it actually acted as a block. Hmm. So now what I do is I, it's like, you know, give it away. Give it away. Give it away. Give it away. And I will, yeah. Yeah, I will tell anybody that's saying that to you, one, you are full of shit. If, that, if you've ever said that, you are full of shit. And you may not understand that you're full of shit, but trust me, you're full of shit. Number two is start giving your shit away and you will find that you have more stuff and you have more information and more knowledge and more insights to share than you ever thought possible. I have probably generated 20 times the amount of content just because I give so much of it away. Mm. And that, that's, that, is, that is a secret right there. I will, that is a magic, magic, magic secret, man, right there. Well, it, it, it kind of flips it on its head of like the person on the other side who, you know, they take you all the way to the answer and then they say, well, I can't, you know, I can't give you away my secrets, right? And it's, it's such a stark difference from today where people really are just you know, they're community and it's interesting how they're, they're building their brand really on, they're showing that they really know what they're talking about. Yeah, that's right. So, that's right. Well, Hey man, this has been phenomenal and I, I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface, but it's been incredible <laughs> listening to you. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Anything else you want to share? Um, well, just, I mean, all I can say is, well, first of all, thank you for having me. This has been a blast. And, and I would say, I would say, for your listeners, they absolutely, absolutely should jump on to risingabovethenoise.com. That's R-A-S-I-N-G, risingabovethenoise.com. There's a free ebook there that they can grab. They should absolutely subscribe to my, my YouTube channel. And so just, just look me up, you know, and it's, I, I, I have the stupidest name for the channel, which was done so early on. It makes no sense to what my brand is. But the thing is, David Breyer, YouTube, you'll find me and just, you know, subscribe, make sure the notifications on, subscribe to that and definitely hook up with me on, on LinkedIn. Those are like the, you, I, you can also find me on, on Instagram and Twitter. You know, there's stuff that I drop. And so, but I'd say probably the, the three most active places really are the, mm -hmm. the LinkedIn, YouTube, and, um, and my blog. Those, right. those are the places and stay tuned because the next book is underway, man. And it is going to smoke. And who, and I will tell you the person that's writing the freaking, the, the freaking forward is going to blow your freaking mind. <laughs> it is going to blow. When's it due out? What's that? When's it due out? I don't, I don't have that. I don't have that date. I mean, the, the outline has been written. The, 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 uh, initial, the, the opening, the introduction has been written. Um, I have not given it a hard date yet because I'm seriously in the middle of so many projects and, and, and brands that I'm, I mean, I am, I'm like, I'm like jamming, I'm like jamming on full throttle. So I don't, I don't have an answer because, because I don't, what I don't do, which a lot, you know, a, a number of guys do is like, you know, they'll, they'll like say, Hey, they're going to riff and then they're going to hand it off to a ghostwriter who's then going to write it. I don't do that. I write this shit. I design. I not so just like my brand, like I told you earlier. So I not only write it, but I design it. So I mean, you know, the book 
does not look like any other book. It doesn't read like any other book. It's, you know, it's people love it. I mean, when, when Claude, when I was visiting Claude Silver in New York two weeks ago, she said, you know, the, I mean, cause she has my book right there on her shelf, which is freaking, I, I love that. And she's, and she's kept my box because I hand lettered the box. That's another, that's another thing that people don't do. So I like, I'll hand letter it. And she's like, she refuses to throw away the box. She's got the box in her office. <laughs> and it's so awesome. And so she literally says, she goes, you know the thing I love about your book? She goes, it's, it's like, the, it's this book, it's your book. And then one other book that she referred to, she says, I can open up any page. And there's something for me to learn on that because of the way it's designed and the way it's written and the size of the font that literally she can read the one page and she will have something she can put into application right now. Mm. So that, I guess, I guess that'll be the only other closing thing. If you haven't bought brand intervention, buy the freaking book, buy it and buy the hardcover. Because if I ever see any of you in person and you're like, Hey, I got a copy of your book and you, and you show me a paperback, I'll look at you and I'll say, come back when you're serious. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And for my listeners in, in the actual book, he says, this book is for every entrepreneur, CEO, startup and brand. And I love this. That doesn't have time to read a book on branding. I love it. <laughs> it's great. Love it. Appreciate it. Listeners, check that out on Amazon brand intervention. David, thank you for being here today. You're a phenomenal guest. For the listeners, absolutely let me know what you think about the podcast. Think about the episode, Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com, and we will catch you later.